I made a commitment that whatever career I would choose, there would have to be freedom involved. So I actually didn't decide the business until I decided whether the business had freedom in it. And that's how I built my company. I refused to be in a business where I didn't have freedom. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I am excited to bring to you a fabulous woman entrepreneur who runs an amazing service that I think you'll all be very, very interested in. Her name is Kedma O, and she is the author of Target Funding and helps business owners find funding and find money when money is required to scale their business. So I think she's going to be a great resource for everyone. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So welcome to the show, Kedma. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I want to start with the way you describe yourself as an expert at finding hidden funds. And that statement you know, made all my spidey senses go off because I teach that money, the money is always there and you just have to be able to see it and find it. But it's always here if you want it and there's always a way. So let's start with that. Can you share a little bit about what that means to you that you you can find the money? Yeah, there is always a way and my way is very analytical. I teach people how to actually find hidden money And the analogy I always say is, you know, there is a funding party happening every single day of the week. And most people will say, well, I want to be invited to the party. Well, you can't be invited to a party you don't know exists. You can't. The only thing you can do is you can find someone who goes to the party and say, hey, can I have an extra ticket? So, you know, the the reason why I fundamentally believe there's hidden money is because of how money is structured in our society. There is money that is available that most people know about. And then there's a lot of money available that most people don't know about, which is what I call the hidden money. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And the reason I got so passionate about it was because of my own story. You know, I didn't, I do come from SBA, but I didn't come from the bank world, the financial institution of what we experience as bankers. And, you know, in, in 2001, I had to file bankruptcy. Not because I was not financially prudent. So let's just call that out. Because a lot of times when I make the statement, I filed bankruptcy, what runs in everyone's mind is, oh, she didn't know how to handle her money. Oh, she just didn't know what it was like to, to put money aside. That's actually 100% false. And most women who file bankruptcy it has nothing to do with their financial acumen. I actually filed bankruptcy because six months prior, I was in a relationship that was not working out and I tried to save it. And the way I saved it is I went home and I took this person's, all their debt, all, the, all their loans, everything they owed people, and I put it in my name. Mm, very interesting. 
Okay. So you were, you were becoming responsible for someone else's uh, financial uh, decisions. Exactly. So that, that was probably not the best decision on your part. Obviously that ended in bankruptcy, but there's always an opportunity there as your story shows, because it, it got you to start engaging yeah. in this like treasure hunt for money. But before we finish your story, can you go back and explain to us the difference between traditional money, like seen money and hidden money? Because yeah. I think it'd be worthwhile to like, yeah, share like the traditional ways what we normally look at, and yeah. then what what these other like hidden places no, are. Too. Just a few examples of that. Absolutely, traditional money is the money that we see and is sold to us. I think that many financial um, currency they almost have their own marketing team. It's like the credit card company has a marketing team that's selling this. Um, friends and family, right? We don't want that, but that's where people sometimes leverage. Banks and financial institutions or what we consider loans. Those are very commonly used. What's not commonly used and what we call uh, hidden money, an example could be a match savings program. Now I'm going to say a term you've never heard. I guarantee it, but it's called the IDA program. The IDA program stands for individual development account. It's a hand up, not a handout can be used for building your business where through a match savings program, sometimes it's two to one, sometimes it's eight to one. What does that mean? Let's suppose you get into the program and you get a chance to save $3,000. If you're in a match savings and it's a five to one, that 3000 is multiplied by five. And that, that, then that amount of money is given to you for the purpose of building your business. You don't have to repay it back. So an idea can be used for education. It could be used for housing, like getting your own home, which is a huge uh, goal for a lot of entrepreneurs, or it could be for building your business. That's an example of hidden money. And that's something that the government provides? It's a great question. Yes. So in this example, that's something the government provides. But why is it hidden? It's because it's only a certain amount of available funds. So you have to know first where the funds are, and then you have to apply for the funds. 70% of our clients qualify for funds. But if you don't know where the funds are and you don't know how to get the funds, you won't get the funds. So one of the I teach is don't consider debt as your only outcome. Um, Another example you asked about is um, new tax market credits. When I filed bankruptcy, and by the way, I want to just say to the audience, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. The best decision. Sometimes the hardest moments in our life are the gifts we're given that allow us to pivot. And this was another example where... um, after filing bankruptcy, I there was no way any any lender would look at my business and consider me for a commercial loan. I knew this. I knew. But I had a dream that I wanted to own my own space because I was tired of paying the lease, which was really expensive for my business. And uh, in 2008, I got this incredible opportunity to apply for this, uh, this, this privilege of, of owning my own office. And I remember saying to my colleague, I'm like, I can't apply. I, I filed bankruptcy. They're not going to look at me. And they said, no, you don't understand. This is a special program for women, minorities, and new immigrants. 
And if you apply, you only have to have a few criteria. They just want to know, have you been in business in three years or more? I'm like, yes. Have you done something significant in the world? I'm like, yes. And do you currently reside in the county? I'm like, yes. Instead of putting 20% down, I only had to put um, 6% down. My interest has been fixed since 2008 at 0.04%. How freaking fabulous. So what I'm hearing here is that although that relationship might have had some challenges and it resulted in bankruptcy, the there's always an opportunity. And if you have the perspective that the universe is always for you, not against you, you can see that from that low, in quotes, experience, you were able to find this this new business of yours, this ability to find hidden money. Because I have... I, I I read your bio and I know that that started a a whole series of investigations and and you took that negative, seemingly negative experience and, and really made it work for you. So question on that, what do you think was the defining trait that you have that allowed you to do that? Because many people would be crushed. Many people would not have resilience, would not... Um, pick themselves up and start again, would not dare to start a, a, another business, much less around money, right? Given, given this label and, and, you know, for better or worse, the, the shame that comes with, with bankruptcy in this country. So what gave you that resilience? Mm, that's such a great question. Um, I am known for believing in the impossible before it's possible. And the moment that I determined I was going to go after it was two weeks after filing bankruptcy, I received a credit card, actually from Capital One. It was for $200. Now, how many of your audience members would do this? This is what happened. I received it and I said, why would a credit card company give me $200? I just filed that bankruptcy. But here's where the magic happened. See, I remembered as a little girl, I would play the game Monopoly. And here's the game. If you've never played, you can be totally broke. Everything is mortgaged. But if you roll the dice and pass go, the banker has to give you $200. That's how the game works. And at that moment, the universe gave me exactly the amount that I would have gotten as the banker giving it to me. And I said, oh, my God, I just got played back into the game. That's what I said to myself. And then I said, now that I'm played back in the game with $200, How can I uncover every resource, every grant, every opportunity for people like me? And that's what made it happen. Yeah. Getting to that magic. It's realizing the opportunities are in front of us and taking the challenge. Yeah. You took a risk there, right? You you took the 200 and you're like, game on. I've got, I've got two hundred dollars right now. So that's fantastic. I love that. R- really, really exciting there. And then tell me about the the process of learning mm. about the the hidden yeah. funding sources. Yeah. Like, what was was it like a, a treasure yeah. hunt? Yeah, to, I, I imagine it that way. At my, it was a like, treasure hunt. Get, right, like that. You you found one, and then you were yeah. like. I wonder if there's more and like, yeah. like each one made you more right. excited to keep searching. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was not one year. 
It was not two years. It was 15 years I went on the hunt. 15 years. And here's what I found out when I did all this due diligence. I figured out that the key to finding money is in variables. That's what I teach. The variables are found in every single person I meet. So if I sit down with you and you you and I are going to work on your business, I'm going to look at variables. Now, what are the variables? First, I'm going to look at, do you identify with a particular gender? So if you say, yes, I identify as a woman, that's one asset we can tap, tap into, women funding. Then I'm going to look at where are you located? Where's your business located? Let's say your business located is New York. Then I'm going to look at New York City. Then I'm going to look at the state of New York. Then I may even look at a county within New York because each one of those is going to give me different funding opportunities. Okay, now that's where we're already at four. Then I'm going to ask you what your mission of your business is. Let's say your mission is to support single women who are coming out of, you know, difficult, abusive relationships. Well, that's number five. Now I'm going to look at single women funding. I'm going to look at nonprofit organizations. Then I'm see all. Then I'm going to look at your revenue, right? Maybe your revenue is below a certain one, or maybe it's above. Then I'm going to look at that. Then I'm going to look at research and development. I can tell you right now, I with every client I work with, I can find at least five or more different funding revenue streams they don't know about because I focus on the variables. And that's so, fantastic. Yeah. So that's yeah. an example. And, and, and one example to just show how detailed it is. I'm in Oregon. And two years ago, Oregon is called Prosper Portland. It's an economic agency only in the city of Portland. Had a special grant out, I think for about $50,000. It was open to businesses in the county, African-American businesses who were in the cannabis industry. Okay, that's it. Very specific. Very specific. So people are like, well, I don't get accepted. I'm like, are you in the cannabis industry? No. No then you're not going to get accepted. Do you identify mm-hmm. as an African-American? No, then you're not going to get accepted. It's not about prejudicial. It's about what are the requirements that we have to find that fit your situation. So let me ask you a few questions about that. So it's most of the funding available just for people who are new to business or new-ish to business or financially challenged. Is there funding across the board? Let's say you have a multi-million dollar business and you want funding. Is yeah, that available? Oh, absolutely. Like, cause we have, we have clients in our, in our community that are just starting out. They, they are making their first thousand dollars, right? They're just going for it. Then we have people who are, who have had their first million dollar months and, and they're, they're doing great. Of so, um, yeah, talk to, well, talk to us about that. the, the different challenges for people at different revenue levels. So I always say, you know, usually when you've reached a million or higher, you may have an easier opportunity than people that are below a million. But in economic development, which is where I came from, the opportunity for economic development is what we call job creation. It's also innovation. Every single state and every single country has a requirement to create jobs, of course, and to create innovative concepts. So where is this found? This is found in what we call industry clusters that are different state by state. For example, in the state of Oregon, you would be shocked. But if you go online right now and say, I'd like to look at business Oregon industry clusters, you're going to find that one of the industry clusters that we invest in is footwear. 
Why would we be investing in footwear in Oregon? Do you have any idea why? Do you know what companies happen to have some influence in Oregon that sell footwear? Any idea? How about Nike? I do not. How about Oh, Nike. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Don't you find that an interesting correlation? Whereas you can go to other states, they don't have that as an industry cluster. Why? Hmm. Because the agency and the state are looking at vitality and programs where certain industries, they're going to create clusters and provide Mm -hmm. funding for. So I'm going to look at those big companies. I'm going to say, what are you doing right now to build industry impact in your community? And can you create jobs? One of the most powerful things that people only learned of because of COVID was something called forgivable loan. Prior to COVID, the majority of Americans had no idea what a forgivable loan is. And yet in industry clusters for high worth, companies doing a million, that's very popular. Company comes in and says, I'm going to create 100 jobs. Economic agencies say, okay, here's what we're going to do. For every job you create where the individual lasts, let's say, six to nine months, we're going to kick back money to you or we're going to forgive the entire loan because you are creating jobs. So in in the development of you creating jobs, we're going to gift you $2 million, for example. Okay. That's a relationship between the agency and that company for the purpose of creating jobs. So again, it really depends on what are they seeking. Um, and so I don't, I want to make it clear. It's not just open to startup, but it is open to, you know, making sure we target what they're seeking and then finding the funds that may be available for them. Fantastic. And then how long does the process take? What, what should someone expect from that perspective? It's funny. I wrote this book with the idea that everybody could do it on their own. I didn't want to do it. I took myself out of it. I'm like, I'm going to teach you everything. You know what happened? You're like, oh, can I really need you to do it? I really need you to help me. So um, I am more than happy to tell people they can get my book and figure it out on their own. I teach you everything. I would say it's a short and long game. So just like you do market analysis, you would have a funding analysis. You would set aside what are your long-term funding goals and short-term funding goals. And the goal is, is if 100% hypothetically is split between debt and sales, can we target 30 to 35% to be grants and subsidies? Okay. It's taking a huge pizza pie, slicing it into 12 slices and saying, what part of those slices can go into funds that you don't have to repay or funds that you're given because of the work you do in the world? That's pretty fantastic. That's a pretty large percentage that you're you're targeting, 30 to 35%. So I can hear people's minds going click, 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 click. That sounds pretty good. Um, who is this not for? Like who is when you, mm. yeah, mm. like should, should everybody be running and knocking down your door and working no. on this and trying to do this? Who is it not for? It's not for someone on fire running and like desperate. Although in those cases, there is funds set aside in people's communities for retention. I used to be one of the top retention consultants. I was hired by the state and our job literally was to be deployed to go after uh, uh, companies that were potentially going to go out of business. 
And the state would pay for that because they don't want people going out of business and they don't want jobs going out. So who is it not for? It's not for someone who says, I want immediate results tomorrow. It's just not going to work. I, I wouldn't work with anybody like that. It's someone that's going to have to look at the long game. Um, it's someone that is going to be wanting to think through the strategy of what they're contributing and 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 what do they want to 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 gain. Sometimes it may not be directly for their company, but it may be for their employees. One of the biggest issues we're dealing with right now in the labor department is how do we retain employees and how how do we keep them? And most of us can't afford a lot of these benefits. Well, if we go back to the analogy of the IDA program, could you imagine if you created an IDA relationship and when people were entering into your workforce, you could say, not only are you going to get the regular benefits, but we're going to set aside and support you in getting housing. You've been in this apartment for years, and I'm going to make a goal that in the next three years, you're going to have your own house. How loyal will someone be for your company? So we're challenging people to get out of the status quo of what they've been taught and to think right out of the box. I'm also a huge advocate for, for product development. I work with one of the top Shark Tank. I've been in innovation my whole life. And so many of the um, businesses we work with, they have a new idea, they have a new product, or they're resetting their new product. Where are they with licensing? Where are they with commercialization? Where are they with research and development that the government can give them because they're doing things that can change lives? So the long game. Yeah, I love all of this. So if someone doesn't know, like I can hear people going, wow, that's a good idea. Or what about this? Or like you keep mentioning these examples and that's this probably just the tip of the iceberg and there's thousands of different ways of looking at this. How do you recommend that people uh, just come to you and say, I heard the podcast and I'd really like more information. I have no idea what I need. Like for for the person who's, whose business is not on fire, right? They're not desperate. They're doing fine. They don't really need it, but they're intrigued with this idea of 30 to 35% of their, their total revenue being, um, forgivable loans or subsidies or funding of some sort, right? You know, this is a new perspective for them. Do they just come to you and say, what you got for me or what's the process there? They can do it a whole host of things. One of the things they can do is have fun with it. They can go onto Google and they could pick like a certain city. And, you know, I like to just have fun and say, you know, um, economic funding, Portland, Oregon, see what comes up, you know? So the key to variables is finding the right words, right? It's kind of like when we look at um, determining whether or not something has a potential patent, it's not, it's, in order to do the research, you have to have the right keywords. So you can have fun with that. The other thing you can uh, think about before we connect is you can think about what exactly are you, do you want? <laughs> do you have a new project? Do you want to align with a nonprofit? Is there something you're, a lot of people, even in big companies are wanting to give back. Um, is there a cool little, um, like, I'll give you a, a, a real example. My, I have two out of three kids are autistic. One of the things, but they're really high functioning and both of them are computer geniuses. And there's been a lot of study right now with big companies like Google and, and Intel where they've seen a correlation with autistic behavior and the ability to master computer programming. What if you decided as a company, you're in the tech world right now and you go, you know what? I like that idea. I would be open to testing that out. Okay. 
now we have something we could work with. So I think I would tell the audience to first come to a place of curiosity. Look, look at your business right now. Look at how your revenue is right now. Check out your profit and loss and ask yourself, what do you, what would you love to consider in your company you're not doing right now? So come from a place of curiosity and then you could come connect with me or you can grab my book. It's 25 bucks. It's like the cheapest deal you could ever get. Um, and yeah, so that's what I would say. What I'm hearing there is that niching down, niching down, whichever way you want to say that, is really key in this. When you're doing your searching, when you're thinking about what kind of funding you want, I, th I think that's an important piece. And and then and then exploring what's there. And it, and it, and again, back to the concept of treasure hunt. It sounds like you start with some of these basic things, and then you go on a little bit of a treasure hunt and and see what you can you can find. I love that. Yeah. So I mean, I found funding for Native Americans. People are like, what? I said, oh yeah, there's funding for Native Americans. There's funding for people with disabilities. So it bypasses income. It can go right into demographic. Um, it can go right into product or mission. So I'd say come from a place of curiosity. I mean, I've, I've built over 10,000 businesses. So the, 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 the formula works. It's just, do you have the time and interest to want to investigate and have fun with it? Yeah, I love it. So, you know, how important, so I'm hearing that funding can be used for a lot of different things, but sometimes I imagine it's used for just keeping the lights on and the doors open and getting, getting through a tough patch. And how important do you think it is to living a great life? Because part of our mission is not just to help women have financial freedom and make more money and the revenue they want. But who cares if you're making money, if you're not living a great life, like if you're miserable. So what do you think the connection is between the funding side of things and, and, you know, getting to me, the connection is getting out of that scarcity feeling and that feeling that like a tiger is chasing you. But I'm curious if, if you have a perspective on that. I do. You know, I, I go back to when I was 18, and I don't know if you know my story, but I was in hiding for five years. I, I left a, a really um, a dangerous situation, and that's why I wear a superhero cape on stage. I talk about that. I had a real villain, and um, most people who know, who don't know my story, and then hear my story, think, "Oh my gosh, you know, this is this is really hard." So yeah, during that time where I was in hiding you know, one of the things I wanted is the idea of freedom. And in my life, it was real because I had didn't have freedom and I had to escape. And so I embraced what does freedom look like? What does freedom look like um, from an emotional, from, from, from a physical and from a financial? And I made a commitment that whatever career I would choose, there would have to be freedom involved. So I actually didn't decide the business until I decided whether the business had freedom in it. And that's how I built my company. I refused to be in a business where I didn't have freedom first. And freedom to me was, could I at any point travel and still work? And that's how I built my career. So the question I would ask the audience is, what do they consider wealth and what do they consider freedom? So if you know, if you follow me anywhere, you know, I travel probably two or three times a month. and. Actually, next week, my family, whole family is going away for two weeks to Spain. Now, I'll still be working, but I'll be on a different time zone. So, um, 
The second thing I want to just call out is most people, when you ask them, what do they want to do when they retire? They say travel. Why not now, right? Why not now? Most people get stuck. I travel all over the world. I, I mean, and I mean it, and it's not a lot of money. I spent, I, I literally went for two days to Hawaii. I got on the plane. I slept in the night. I got off and I was there for two days. I'm like, who goes to Hawaii for two days? I do. I go to two days to London because to me, it's about getting out there. So I find the cheapest rate. I have never paid more than 500 bucks on flights um, for the most part. And I just go, I just go, I don't talk about it. So I think what we have to do is get out of this idea that we have to wait to have what we want when we retire. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know the details of your story, but I just want to acknowledge it because that was a big, like, um, that was a big mouthful. Mouthful. That's not even the right word, but that that's a heavy that's a heavy story to have to go into hiding as a young person, and clearly there was some serious danger there. So I just want to acknowledge that, and also um, I also acknowledge how you've translated that experience into something very positive. That you you are taking that and you're like okay well i don't like to be in hiding i like to be free and i'm going to make that happen in my life so good on you for that um before i ask you my final questions um i just want to reflect and share how generous you've been with the tips that you have and how to go about um finding this hidden money and and that it it in in setting a tone of like this doesn't have to be hard this can be uh, this can be easy. You need to put the time in. Here are some frameworks for it. Go buy the book um, and get started. And that it's really for for everyone. It's not one particular um, type of person. Everyone is an individual. Everyone has these variables, whether they're in their personal life, how they, you know, demographics and things like that, but also in their business and that it's all right here for us. And, and just another little, a little note on that. One of the things that I do oftentimes when I'm teaching, you know, we just did our, our summit. And one of the exercises that I take people through is if, if your kids, this is a doom and gloom situation, but it creates some urgency. If your kids were kidnapped and you had to come up with, I don't know, 50K or 100K, like instantaneously, what would you do? And people would come up with all this creative, they, they come up with all the, these creative solutions. They, they get very innovative. Um, but no one talks about finding hidden sources of funding. And I think that, that, that needs to be added to the, the list. And, and, not that I hope that that's the, the situation for anyone, but it, it, causes people to realize when there's urgency, they will find a way. And um, I would just encourage people to do it before it's urgent and to start the process so that, um, you know, they have the time to make it happen for themselves. So thank you for all the, the shares on there. Where can people find you before I ask my last questions? Yeah. Well, I would say there's, there's one Kedma. If you find another one, run. Um, so I'm usually on LinkedIn, um, through you, um, you could literally key in Kedma and I'll come up. 
Um, but uh, my website, so just kedmao.com, O-U-G-H. Uh, so I'm actually really easy to find. Um, I just got um, I just got announced I'm Mrs. Portland now for Oregon. So my husband wants to be Mr. Portland, but it doesn't work <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. And of course, your book is called Target Funding. So if people want to grab it. So what do you do to continue to learn and grow and stay on top of your game? Yeah. You know what? I live my life as a seven-year-old. Um, and I think it's just because of how my life was. I got stuck in the seven-year-old uh, space and I have I replay it. Um, and so I see the world very childlike. And yeah. I think there's a lot of benefit because when you live your life in the childlike mode, you don't have to feel like you need factual evidence to make decisions. Kids are not like that, right? Kids will just go ahead and do it. It's actually the adults that tell them this is not right, or you shouldn't believe this. Or So I live in a place of make-believe. You know, I wear capes on stage. I am a superhero in my mind. I don't care what people think. I really believe that. And I live my life with this level of magic. And I tell my husband all the time, if I'm delusional, leave me. I'm enjoying <laughs> myself. I don't need to go into a space where it's sad and depressing. I like to be in that space. Yeah. I think that that children have su- such access to their imagination and it's it, and if you can imagine it, you can make it happen, right? There's there's a way of um, you know, calling in the ways and the means. So, I mean, maybe not if you're imagining unicorns or something like that, but you could put a horn on a horse. Yeah. (laughs) My fifth grade teacher put in my yearbook, Kedma, keep believing in unicorns, fairy tales. I tracked him down three years Mm. ago. And I said, Mr. Dixon, I want you to know, I still believe in unicorns, (laughs) fairy tales and leprechauns, but I'm now the innovation state director and I help everyone believe that way. So it is interesting how, you know, who we are as children sometimes becomes who we are as adults. So that's what I would leave people yeah. with is come to a place of curiosity and imagination. That's what inventors have to do. Every inventor yeah. I've ever met was told nothing is going to happen. Their invention is not going to work. And then you know what? It goes to market and then their family members are like, oh, you know, Tom, I really knew it was going to work. I believed <laughs> in the entire time. No, they, no, they didn't. <laughs> you have to believe in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kedma. This has been great. I hope people reach out to you. And thank you so much for your generosity and your good spirit and your childlike uh, imagination. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you so much. 